It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Steve and Dan, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight with Are you uh, really? Dan Patrick. Well, yes. I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, uh, hey, Dan, Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, in my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. All right, happy Saturday to you. A lot to get to tonight, so I want to get right to it. And something happened earlier this week that I feel compelled to start the show with. And no, I'm not talking about the Lions preseason game number one last night. We'll talk about the Lions tomorrow. But I want to talk about what happened out in Iowa. Dyersville, Iowa. Home to, if you remember, one of the great baseball movies, one of the great sports movies of all times. Feel the dreams. And this event put on by Major League Baseball was two years in the making. Major League Baseball said back in, I guess they they, they would have made the announcement back in probably 2018, that 2020, they'd be playing a game, a real Major League Baseball game, in Dyersville, Iowa, at the site of where the movie Field of Dreams was shot. And if you haven't seen Field of Dreams, it, that, that's the whole, if you build it, they will come, right? Build this stadium. That's what Kevin Cosner was tasked with doing. Build this, this baseball field so all the, the greats would come back and play. And they coming out of the, the cornfields and taking their positions on the field. It's just a, it's a great movie, fantastic movie. And last night, after a postponement of the event in 2020 due to COVID-19. Originally, the the plan was the White Sox and the Yankees were going to play this game. And then COVID issues took over with the the Yankees organization, so they were going to move the the Cardinals into that spot to play the White Sox. And then they just canceled the game altogether because of COVID. But last night was the culmination of a two-year wait, essentially, for this game to take place. And as some, look, and you know me, I am am truthfully a skeptic at heart. I'm a a pessimist. So when I'm preparing to watch this game and I'm getting ready to, I just thought, "Eh, this is going to be hokey, this is going to be cheesy, it's going to be... And I... Look, I wasn't wrong. It was a little cheesy, especially in the beginning. But you know what? It was awesome. It was awesome. And to, to start the, the, the night off, they bring Kevin Costner back. He comes walking out of the cornfield. Instant chills. And then you got behind Kevin Costner. He comes out, takes a little stroll around the outfield. And then a couple minutes later, you start getting the players from each team walking out. It was, look, is it stupid? Yes. Was it awesome? A hundred percent. It was awesome. 
And I remember tweeting right after the game. And look, the, the, the just the the atmosphere was terrific. But then the game, if you didn't get to watch any of it, you, you, I'm sure you've seen the highlights. They're everywhere. White Sox leading. Top of the ninth. Yankees take the lead with a couple of bombs. And then in walks Tim Anderson. One man on, two-shot homer, bottom of the ninth, walk it off in Iowa, and the White Sox win at 9-8. to eight. It was fantastic. The game was great. The atmosphere was great. And I think I tweeted something like, let's just play every game in the cornfields of Iowa. It was, and, and here's what made it special. Aside from all the nostalgia of the movie, aside from, you know, the camera angles, like if you were the camera would have been like, third base side uh, looking out over the pitcher or or over first base that that camp there was like a there's that's the house of field of dreams it's just it's it's not a special i mean it's just a, a cornfield and it's a very intimate setting there's about 8000 people there that's it. it 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 and look i'm i'm trying not to oversell this because I, I probably am, but it was so great. And Dave, one of the things that I really enjoyed most about it is aside from all the nostalgia, aside from all of the, the feel the dream stuff. Um, I, I loved the, the way that they had, you know, like, uh, all the signage in the back. It was all very old. All the, the padding and stuff looked like old barn boards. Uh, and it just gave it a very, um, uh, kind of innocent, like minor league baseball, like playing baseball as a kid kind of vibe. And it was just, it was just, it was a special night. And thankfully, thankfully, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball says they're going to be back next year. I didn't think that I was going to like it. Uh, I was switching off between that and the uh, Patriots-Washington uh, uh, preseason game. But mm-hmm. I found myself uh, kind of liking it. It was kind of cool. I like the fact that the uh, it was the announcers were dressed up in like the old garb and uh, it was it was uh, it was a little hokey. I agree with you. And Field of Dreams is by far not my favorite baseball movie of all time, but uh, it was kind of cool. I have to admit. No, it was hokey. But you know what? I what I found myself doing is embracing it. Like nine times out of ten, I'm gonna just push that stuff aside. I just. It's not something that I'm interested in. But I very much gravitated towards this. I, I, It was like I almost like couldn't not watch it. Do you think that somebody after Every, the game went and retrieved all the balls to take to the Hall of Fame or something? All the home run balls that were hit? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that, that they've got them. Yeah, I'm sure that they've got them somewhere. I'm sure they had somebody go around if if it wasn't. If it wasn't Thursday night, Friday morning, I'm sure they were they were rolling around trying right. to find some, some some of the balls. Um, it was just cool. It was it was a it was a you know what it was, especially as we're we're still trying to come out of this whole pandemic thing and we're trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. It was just another one of these events. It was just a nice event to watch and take in and feel a little nostalgic about it. I thought it was awesome. Thought it was great. So if you haven't seen any of the the like the Tim Anderson homer at the end of the game, you gotta watch it. It's fan 
fantastic. All right, uh, more to come here on Sports Wrap this evening. Chris Renwick as we continue here on WJR. Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. I've been professing my love to you uh, about all things that Steve Eiserman's been doing. I, I just love what he's doing. I, I, and I my, my read on this and I think I'm part of this. I'm, I'm a little bit on the on the island here, but I think he's trying to fast track this thing. I do. Uh, and and you can look to a couple of things. Certainly, bringing in, uh, you know, a guy like Nick Letty, dealing a second round pick. I know he's on the the last year of his deal, and and you would think, look, that's prime trade bait. The problem is, is with Nick Letty, is you dealt a second-round pick for him. So even if you were trying to flip him at the deadline, you'd be looking for a first? And I just don't... I don't think that you're going to get the kind of value that you would be looking for at a trade deadline flip. Unless he ends up being like a point-of-game guy. And even so you're probably going to get at least a mid-first-round pick. I mean, the, the value just isn't there. And they've talked a lot about, specifically, in Letty's case, how he's going to help bring along some of these young defensemen, some of these guys that are going to be the anchors on the back end for years to come. Look, Nick Letty's 30. He'll be 31 this year. He ain't a spring chicken, but he's he's still a, an, an incredibly productive NHL defenseman. So I just don't buy the fact that he's a, he's a, 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 a flipper at the deadline because I just don't think the value is there for Steve Eiserman to trade a second-round pick. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's just my read on it. Another one of the moves that I, 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 I mean, me and everybody else, absolutely loved was the Jacob Verona trade or for Anthony Mantha. Uh, you send, you said Anthony Mantha, you get a, you get Jacob Verona, Richard panic, uh, a 2021 first and a 2022 second pick, just an absolute heist. And they decided to trade Richard panic and the second round pick. That's how they ended up with Nick Luddy. But now Jacob Verana has signed a new three-year deal with the Red Wings, five and a quarter million per season, uh, and that has avoided arbitration. That's big. 36 points in 50 games last year. He's got 84 goals and 84 assists over the last five seasons. This kid can play. He was taking two picks before Dylan Larkin was back in 2014. So another, again, young, productive player. Red Wings also re-signed Tyler Bertuzzi 
to a two-year deal. Again, an important puzzle piece for this team moving forward. Stevie once again goes out, swipes Alex Nedeljkovic out of Carolina. Again, young 25-year-old netminder. Signed Pia Suter to a two-year deal in the offseason, coming off a, a, a really nice season with Chicago. It's only his second year in the league. I, look, it, I, just, I just think this thing's getting fast-tracked. And avoiding arbitration with Iran is big. Signing him to a three-year deal is big. My This, to me, looks like they're, they're going to be shooting here in the next three years. They're going to be, that's the, that's the goal here. In the next two years. That's where this thing looks like it's headed to me. So again, I, I'm incredibly excited to where the direction of this franchise is going. Everybody here in Detroit seems to be on their way up, and the Red Wings are certainly no exception to that. I think they're on their way up. And I think with a couple of these offseason moves here, look, and this team's going to look a lot different next year. It's going to look a lot different. They're going to be almost a completely different squad. But they're going to be better. They are instantly better now than they were when the season ended. And this is just a couple of moves. that, And I don't know if Steve Eiserman's got a a hypnotist on staff or what, but but in some of these cases, they're just just stealing some of these guys. So I like the way they're going, and, and I and I and again, I think the Verona deal—it's a big one. It's a big deal locking him up because I think he will be an important piece for this team going forward. Hey, you know, speaking of the Red Wings, also there's there's for years there's always been this rumor about Chris Chelios and uh, the year they played uh, at Wrigley Field 2009 in the Winter Classic uh, Chris Chelios didn't play very much he played one shift to start the game and then was out the rest of the game and they were like what's wrong with Chris is he injured is he whatever no totally fine healthy healthy uh, player at the time of the game And the, the, the rumor was that Mike Babcock was just trying to sit Chris Chelios. Chris Chelios being from Chicago, from Chicago, hometown, going home to play in the Winter Classic in front of all your friend, friends and family. Uh, and the, the, the rumor was, I had never heard it confirmed. Dave, had, had you ever gotten that, that this story confirmed? I had never gotten it no. confirmed from anybody. No. So the rumor was that Chris Chelios was healthy scratched by Mike Babcock and was just sat the entire game. And so Chelios, in turn, uh, was just hammering beers all game. That was the rumor. That Chris Chelios was just sitting on the bench just getting, just, just throwing beers back. That was the rumor. Never confirmed, but that was the rumor. Uh, so... Chris Chelios uh, appeared on the Spittin' Chicklets podcast. Uh, that is a barstool sports property. Uh, and he went on to talk about that back in 2019, Winter Classic, Wrigley Field. Uh, and he had this to say. Well, Kenny Holland and Jim Mill for three days argued with him. 
So what Babs ended up doing was he suited up 7D for the first time ever. And first and last time, he suited up 7D, put Anders Lilly in the lineup, and played me opening shift and then didn't play me another shift the rest of the game. That was his way of, uh, you know, showing Kenny and, you know, Jim Nell that he's not going to be told what to do um, again. And, you know, it's funny. I'm sitting there second period. My two sons were about 40 feet, you know, sitting on the boards, and they're looking at me going, what, what's going on? And I look at them, and I tip my glass, like, you know, my cup to get me a beer. So my two boys were handing me beers at the whole game, and then McCrimmon tried to get me to go out there in the last minute to kill a penalty. I said, not a chance. So <laughs> not yeah, a chance stuff like that. That was so unnecessary. not a chance. It's fantastic. It's just great. So there he is from the mouth of Chris Chalios. Confirming that rumor after all these years. It's such a great story. I mean, obviously Chris Chalios was not happy about it. He was not happy about, you know, being a healthy scratch for that game. Going home, playing in front of your home crowd, outside, Wrigley Field, big deal. Uh, that was, I mean, uh, Dave, I, and I don't, you know what, let me, let me see if I, I probably should have already done this, but I didn't think about it. Uh, what year did the Winter Classic start? Oh, that's, a, um, that's a good question. Because this was, this was really early in that, in that, you know, specialty game. Right. Uh, and... I, I want to say, okay, 2008. So 2008, it was held in New York. So this it is the second year. Sabres-Penguins. So it was the second year. So it was a big deal. Uh, and uh, so for Chris Chelios to, you know, look forward to this game, going home, playing in front of your family and friends, was a, was a big deal for him. And yeah. after all these years, That's Chris ba- Chelios... That's Babcock for you. He, he, he puts all those rumors... To bed. And they're true. Just getting hammered on the bench. Because Mike Babcock decided to healthy scratch him that game. And, and sounds like Ken Holland, Jim Nail, they were saying, look, we got to play Chris. You got to play him. He's healthy. He's good. Let's play him. That's Mike Babcock. That's what you said. All right, more to come on Sports Wrap coming up next. Now back to more Sports Wrap, presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back. Look, I we're, we're, I don't know, how many days are we away from college football? Are we under 20 yet? I mean, we've got to be getting pretty close. We're, we're, we're less than three weeks away from college football. Um, and uh, ESPN put out a pretty interesting list top 100 college football coaches, head football coaches, over the last 50 years. Uh, and uh, Dave Rieger, you fancy yourself to be a, a, a college football aficionado. Uh, you know, I like college football. I'm more NFL guy, but I, I follow the college game. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested to know if you can maneuver your way around the top 10. Well, obviously. So I want to get you involved uh, here. Obviously, and, we know and, who number and I one is. St- number one, Jim Harbaugh. It says here <laughs> that, no. Uh, uh, 
No, it's not Jim Hart. Uh, uh, who do you think is number one on ESPN's top 100 college football coaches over the last 50 years? If it's not Who's Nick, had a lot of success. If it's not Nick Saban, <laughs> then uh, then the list is obviously off target. Yeah, what has he got? Seven national championships. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven national championships. Um, and I think he's won the SEC every year he's been there. Something like that. Um, yeah, Nick Saban, number one with a bullet, uh, as the the best college football coach over the last ten years. Uh, who would you over the last fifty uh, years? Ventured right? of the last fifty years. Who okay. would you venture would be number two on that list? Don't hurt yourself. Mm, I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say Bear Bryant. Uh, checking in at number two on this list is Bear Bryant. Uh, coached, of course, at Maryland, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and then Alabama from 58 to 82. That's his. That's what he's most known for. Uh, he won one, two, three, four, uh, one, two, three, four, five national titles. Uh, he won uh, all five of those at Alabama. Uh, and he's got a whole bunch of conference titles, and he nearly won titles at Kentucky and Texas A&M too. Uh, so uh, then he ended up going home, of course, to uh, Alabama. It's his alma mater. Uh, so interesting, uh, not so uh, surprising, I suppose, that Bear Bryant's number two. Number three on the list is, David? I'm going to go with uh, your head coach of your Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is not number three on this list. Oh. Number three on this list oh. is Bobby Bowden. Oh, okay. Former head man at Florida State. Okay. Won two national titles in 93 and 99. Uh, and won a bunch of conference titles as well along the way. But uh, certainly Bowden, he was a juggernaut yeah. at Florida State at that time. An absolute juggernaut. Uh, he had... Um, 26 top 15 finishes as well, which is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Bobby Bowden checking in at number three. Number four on this list, David. Yeah. Uh, you, you've got Urban Meyer still on the board for you. You just mentioned him at number three, but he was not number three. Who do you got at number four? Number four. Um... Uh, on Urban Meyer at number four. What do you? Yeah, think? yeah, we'll throw. Like? Yeah, Urban Meyer. What do you feel? Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, number four. Ur- Urban Meyer is not the fourth best what? coach in the last fifty years, according to ESPN. Uh, that distinction goes to Nebraska's Tom Osborne. What? Tom Osborne, Ugh. who won national uh, the the national title in ninety four ninety five, and he did not win it in ninety seven because they were not the best team in the country. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other conference titles as well. Uh, remember, uh, they had a pretty nice run under Tom Osborne, especially in the mid to late uh, 90s. Uh, very good in the 70s and 80s, too. And he had one team ever only finish outside the top 15. That's, that's pretty impressive. That's insane. I, I did not know that about Tom Osborne, that he only had one team ever finish outside the top 15. That's pretty incredible. Um, and he was at Nebraska for, uh, what, almost 30 years, 25, 24 years yeah. he was at Nebraska. 
So Tom Osborne, number four. Number five, David. Well. Uh, best college football coach in the last 50 years. So some other names. Two. Some other names are coming to mind. I'm going to go with Barry Switzer. Barry Switzer at number five. It is not Barry Switzer. It's your guy, Urban Meyer. Okay, well, he was going to come in at some point. <laughs> uh, of course, won three national titles. Uh, and, and, and to be honest, when he was at Bowling Green, he was only, what, at Bowling Green for a season or two? Something like that. Uh, and, and they were really good. And then he went to Utah and, uh, was, I, I mean, I don't, they, they lost one or two games and that was when he had Alex Smith, right? Wasn't Alex Smith at Utah with him then? I think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, he went 22 and two at Utah. That's impressive. He won two national titles at Florida, almost won a third, remember that, Uh, and then he won another one at Ohio State and had been in the playoffs multiple years. Yeah. So Urban Meyer, who now is making his his way in the NFL for the first time, number five on this ESPN list. Number six, David. So... uh, Who you got at number six? Yeah, I, I still like Barry Switzer, but I also kind of like Jimmy Johnson. So I'm going to go with, I also kind of like Lou Holtz on this list. I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson. What John, Jim Harbaugh still on the list or on the table for you <laughs> at number six. I'm going to go Jimmy Johnson. You're going Jimmy Johnson at number six. Yeah. All right, number six. Uh, number six on this list is John McKay. Oh, Really? The former USC head man oh, for 15 okay. years. Okay. Went 27, 40, and 8 over that time. He won four national titles. And at that point, USC hadn't been any good in the in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, but then they won four national titles. They had nine top ten finishes, eight Rose Bowl bids, uh, and and that was really when USC kind of became, you know, they they put it running back you is when that John Mackey put a lot of stock into the running back room. And uh, and so John Mackey, number six on this list. Number seven um, on the ESPN top it's gonna 100 be, college football coaches in the last 50 years. It's got to be got? it's got to be Barry Switzer. He's got to be in the top ten. Barry Switzer um, is not... At number seven, uh, that goes to one Dabo Sweeney. Okay, well that makes sense. Dabo Sweeney, who's been at Clemson since two thousand nine, one forty and thirty three in that span, two national two national titles. Uh, and look, I, I I think that we see what Dabo Sweeney's doing. He's certainly making his case for the top ten. I think it's a, that's an appropriate spot for Dabo Sweeney. All right, number eight on the list. Um. It's going to either be. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is not number eight. This is one that I I vehemently disagree with. Number eight on this list is the former head of Kansas State, Bill Snyder. Was oh, that just because he was there the for top... like hundred years and he was there twice and all that? He's never won I mean, anything. Look, he was there from '89 to 2005, and then 2009. To 2018. This list, this list is fraudulent. And look, this is my issue with a lot of players that are like Hall of Fame bound 
or I mean, like, it's like the Dan Marino argument, right? Like, can I can I honestly say that Dan Marino is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? He never won a title, never won a Super Bowl. That to me is important. That's like one of the must-haves if you want to be talked about as a great player. And when you're missing that on your resume, for me, for me, that's a that's a big knock, uh, uh, you know, a big peg to knock down. That's a tough. That's a tough. Uh, that's a tough road to uh, to ride on. Sure is. But if you want to be great, if you want to be known as one of the greatest, you better get it done. Yeah. Bill Snyder never got it done at yeah. K State. Yeah. Um, so look, I, I, I just, I vehemently disagree with Bill Snyder being a, a top 10 coach in the last 50 years. Uh, number nine on this list, David. I don't know. Holt, Switzer, Jimmy Johnson. Um, you just named one of them there. I'll give you i I'll give you a little helping hand. Give me, uh, give me Switzer at number nine. All right. Barry Switzer, bingo, bango, bongo. All right. Uh, Barry Switzer. Won three national titles at Oklahoma, uh, and uh, over half of his seasons ended uh, with OU in the top three. Crazy. And number ten on this list, David. I'll give this one to you. Okay. Lavelle Edwards, Natty at BYU in 1984. One of the greatest, and and possibly. Uh, def- Offensive minds, chain offensive, you know, developing minds in all of history. That's the top ten coaches in in, in college football, according to ESPN, over the last fifty years. More sports up next. Now back to more sports wrap, presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back. Uh, look, one of the, the, the bigger storylines of this week included somebody who wasn't even on this continent. Lionel Messi is now a member of PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, and not a member of Barcelona in La Liga. And, and look... I. I don't know that we need to get deep into soccer talk here, <laughs> right? Uh, but when you are dealing with somebody of Lionel Messi's caliber, when you're dealing with somebody who has six Ballon d'Or awards, who has won essentially everything you can possibly win in this sport multiple times over, um, and he he's just the best player on the planet. Just, I mean, just it's the fact of the matter. When you're dealing with somebody who's leaving a franchise, leaving an organization, leaving a club that they've been with for, for 20 years, 20 years. I mean, he was a teenager when he came in and started for the first team in Barcelona. You talk about the, the, just the, the, the staggering number of statistics he has that are just, they're absolutely wild. Like Dave, I don't know how much you follow soccer. Um, but like when you have 36 hat tricks in a soccer game, it it's incredible. 
It's incredible what this guy has done. I'd... And so when he when he when he is leaving an organization, leaving a club, it's big news. Yeah, I don't really follow soccer that closely, but I do know the uh, the legend that is Messi. And uh, you're right. Uh, you're when you're scoring hat tricks in soccer games, uh, that's impressive. He's got 35 club trophies, uh, club record trophies. He's got 10 La Liga trophies. That's the, the, the league that they play in. Seven Copa del Rey titles, four UEFA championship titles. He is probably the most prolific goal scorer, one of the most creative soccer players on the planet. He's got 474 La Liga goals. That leads, uh, that, that is number one in history. The dude is just an alien. And so when he, uh, by all accounts, is forced to leave Barcelona, it's a big deal. And look, the way that La Liga is, the way that La Liga is structured, it's silly. And look, you're dealing with somebody who makes big time money. You know, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars a week, a game. And at the end of the day, Barcelona said it couldn't keep Lionel Messi because he they weren't able to fit a new contract within La Liga's financial fair play regulations, which means that Barcelona is in such significant debt that they weren't able to keep Lionel Messi. They weren't even able to to keep him at a half at half of what he was making per I mean they, they, they there was just no way that they could keep him. And so now you've got the best player on the planet where traditionally I mean we see it often where you're a player and you, and you 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 spend your whole career with one organization. I think those times are generally over. I don't know. I think it's pretty rare. I mean, heck, even Michael Jordan didn't play his whole career with the with the with Chicago Bulls, right? I mean, it's just it, it doesn't happen all the time anymore. So while it's not groundbreaking, when you have the best player on the planet for years, years, and he leaves to go to a different club, it's a big deal. It's a big story. It's a big story. And look, Leon Nassi, he was he was. I mean, his his press conference that he held. Uh, as he was exiting Barcelona, it was just heartbreaking. I mean, the dude was just, I mean, he was literally sobbing, literally sobbing. You feel for the guy. It's this, the only, the only home he's ever known. It's the only place he's ever lived outside of being a, you know, a, a kid in, in Argentina. It, it's, it's just a, a really interesting worldwide sports story worldwide. While Messi may not be, you know, one of the top athletes on people's minds here in the United States. Worldwide, Leo Messi is it. He's the guy. So, leaving Barca, heading over to PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, it's a big deal. And now you've got a Paris Saint-Germain team that features a guy like Mbappe, and you've got a guy like Neymar Jr. there. That's going to be a good team. They're going to be a fun team to watch. So, look, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it... it it was a big story, and I, I thought it deserved mentioning. By the way, if Andre Drummond put as much effort 
into his defensive game as he did to saving his child from uh, from drowning in a pool, he might still be a Detroit Piston. Isn't that a crazy story? <laughs> Look, God bless Andre Drummond, man. If you haven't seen the, I think TMZ has it. I don't. I haven't any other sources for it, so I'll just I'll I'll give TMZ a shout. Um, his son. I don't know how old his son was. I hadn't seen the age, but probably a couple of years old, two or three, um, was sitting on the edge of their pool, uh, kind of with his feet dangling in the water. And all of a sudden he falls in. There is a woman sitting next to him and there's a man standing just behind the, the young man. Um, and that's all you can see in the frame. So the kid falls in and and you can kind of see these two other people start to panic a little bit. And then out of nowhere, Andre Drummond just comes shooting into frame, hops in the pool and rescues his kid. I mean, it was Dave, when you say it was wild, it was wild. Just a a really scary incident and you know, thank God there were people around. I don't know. Look, I think that there were a couple people there that could have acted if if Andre Drummond was, you know, elsewhere. Um, but he came in flying like a bullet and and just hopped in the fully clothed, shoes on, hopped in the pool and rescued his son. It was an amazing video. It was pretty it was pretty uh, cool. I uh I saw that story and I was like, wow. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, so good for Andre Drummond. Um I'm happy that that everybody's safe in that situation. Um, look, it, we know that there are going to be people at NFL games this year. We know that stadiums are going to be packed. And I, I think the NFL is trying to figure out a way or at least leave it up to different organizations to figure out a way to navigate that, make sure people are safe. Uh, well, now the New Orleans Saints says that they will require proof of COVID vaccination or a negative test to attend their games at the Superdome. I mean, you start looking even outside of the Superdome. Residents that are going to be down in NOLA will be subject to the same rules if they want to attend, uh, if they want to go to bars or restaurants in the area. Uh, And cases are are going up in New Orleans pretty drastically. You're talking about almost 16,000 new cases over the weekend. So this is what, this is what, the saints are doing in an effort to uh, try to uh, keep people safe as they get back to, to somewhat sense of normal for, for the players that they're going to be, they're going to be packing the Superdome and now you got to be vaccinated or you got to prove that you've had a negative COVID test. So that's interesting. Um, One other thing I wanted to mention, this is not something I can participate in. Uh, uh, Dave, have you ever gotten a hole in one? Have you ever hit a hole in one? No, I've gotten close. No. No. Well, that doesn't really count, does it? No. Um, and you missed your birdie putt, too, would be my guess. No. I mean, this, I got to tell you, it was so close that it was like literally, I mean, it had to have been just like right on the edge, just right there. There's no way I could have missed the birdie putt. All right. Well, uh, if you have hit a hole-in-one, if you had a hole-in-one in your prolific golf career, uh, you can sign up 
for the Detroit News or and, and the GAM, the Golf Association of Michigan, hole-in-one contest. Uh, last year it was canceled because of COVID-19, but it's back this year, taking place September 20th at Whispering Willows Golf Club in Livonia. If you've ever had a hole-in-one, you can register. You've got till August 31st. Only those who've hit a hole-in-one are able to participate. Uh, you get two shots at the par three seventh hole, and there's a bunch of prizes up for grabs. So if you if you've ever hit a hole in one, you want to try to take your uh, your skills to Livonia, take your talents to, to instead of taking your talents to South Beach, you can take them to the main streets of Livonia. Try to try to dunk another one for a couple extra prizes. So you can still register for the Detroit News and GAM hole in one contest. Uh, That's set to take place at the end of September. All right, that's going to do it for us today. We will see you back here tomorrow, 6 to 7, here on WJR. Have a good night.